If I were to take a quick poll about what was most important in someone's life, I think a large degree of people, if not at the very top, near the top at least, would be their family. They would say, my family is what's most important to me. I look out for them no matter what. They look out for me no matter what. No matter what else happens, they are still my family. And I look out for them. I take care of them. And I know that if something were to happen to me, they would take care of me. And because we share the same DNA, because we have the same blood running through our veins, there is nothing that is more important than family. Now normally what we, when we talk about family, we're talking about that. That are those who we share the same DNA with. But there are other things that can make people family as well. A common cause. It might be something very lighthearted, something uh, maybe not that serious. For example, if you are in a fraternity, you have a fraternity brother or a sorority. You have a sorority sister. I say that it's lighthearted. They take that thing very seriously. No, that is my brother, man. So there are a common cause that could also cause us to be family. And sometimes that cause isn't as lighthearted. Sometimes it's much more serious. Somebody who is in the military, they are there with their brothers in arms. My father was a Denver Sheriff's deputy for almost 20 years, and he called his co-workers his brothers and sisters in blue. They were united around a cause to make sure justice was done and the peace was kept. That is an interesting sound. taken care of. (laughs) Normally, though, what people would say is the family that's focused around a cause is not as important as the family that I have because of my genetics. They would say they are still subordinate down here. Family comes first no matter what. But as we're going to read in Mark today, Jesus is going to come along and number one, he's going to redefine what family is and he's going to redefine what the most important family is. And it's going to turn that idea on its head that our blood family is not necessarily the most important family there is. Turn with me to Mark 3, 31 through 35. That's Mark 3, 31 through 35. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. At this point in Jesus' ministry, his popularity is growing wildly. Joey has preached the past couple weeks uh, on a couple of the reasons why it was, he was gaining so much popularity. One was Jesus was teaching with one who had author- as one who had authority. He was coming along, and as he was teaching, he was teaching from the Word of God, and he was unapologetic about it, and he didn't back down from it in any way. And he preached what was there no matter what anybody wanted to hear, and he wasn't preaching suggestions. He was a preaching with authority. And that was different from how the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees of that time had been preaching. 
they weren't really preaching with that authority. They were preaching according to man's ways and man's wisdom, but they were not preaching according to God's wisdom and on the truth of God's word. And so that was different for them to hear this man who is coming and preaching authoritatively. And people began to gather around him because they just hadn't heard somebody like that. And not only was he preaching authoritatively, but he was backing it up with miracles. Last week, Pastor Joey preached on Jesus as the miraculous physician. And he wasn't coming and just healing colds and sniffles and things like that. No, Jesus came. He told a paralytic to get up and walk. And he was able to get up and walk. He's healing blindness. He's healing leprosy. He's healing big medical issues. And so, of course, people are gathering to Jesus. Think about that. Like, if Jesus was down at Lake Quantipowit, and he was preaching up on that bandstand with authority, but not only was he preaching with authority, he was backing it up. People were rolling up to him in wheelchairs, and he was telling them to get up, and they got up and walked away. There would be a huge crowd down there. You think it's hard to get a seat on 4th of July to see the fireworks. Imagine what it would be like if people were down there getting healed of their blindness and their paralysis and their lifelong diseases. There would be no room at all for anybody. In fact, we're told in Scripture that Jesus and his disciples aren't even able to eat at this point because so many people have crowded around him. Even when he tries to go home where he's staying and sleeping, the crowds follow him and they are there around him at all times. So it's natural that his family would worry about him. I think it's every mother's greatest fear that their son is not getting enough food to eat. My grandmother was this way well into her 80s. Uh, You know, we would go over there. My dad, even though he had me and had grandchildren of his own, we'd go over there, and my grandmother would be like forcing food at us, like, make sure you're eating, Raj, make sure you're eating. You've met my dad. It's clear he hasn't missed too many meals. And yet it's still this fear of my grandmother, and it is a fear of my mom. It's a f- this huge fear for mothers that their sons are not getting enough food to eat. And so it's understandable that they're very concerned. One thing that is interesting to note, though, his brothers are concerned for a different reason. Jesus' brothers were concerned because they thought he was out of his mind. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' own brothers at this point don't recognize him for who he is? They don't believe yet that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who has come to save them. Happy to tell you, if you fast forward real far, his brothers do come to faith in him. But at this point, they think he's nuts. They think he's out of his mind and he's putting his life in danger as he's doing this. And so they are coming, they are gathering around him. They're trying to get to him, but they can't because of the crowd. And so finally the crowd tells Jesus that his mother and his brothers are there to see him. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, who, is my, who are my mother and brothers? It's an interesting response. You might expect Jesus to be like, oh, okay, and start running out through the crowd to his family. But he doesn't do that. And instead, he redefines who his family is. The one that does the will of God, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. The one who is doing the will of God. This is not meant by Jesus to be disrespectful to his mother who had loved him and raised him and cared for him. It's not Jesus being like a teenager saying, oh, I wish I had a different family. That's not what he's doing here at all. all. It's just that he is establishing 
that the most important thing that connects people is not their genetics, but their obedience to God. And I don't want to gloss over that and keep on moving because that's actually a very hard statement to hear. If you love your family, if you care for your family, you think your family is wonderful, that's something that might be difficult to take. I remember the first time I ever read this, I was like, man, Jesus, that's harsh on your mom and brothers. To just say that the, the, like the people in front of you, they weren't there to raise you. They weren't there to love you as you grew up. But Jesus means it, and he means it wholeheartedly. And we know that because it's reflected in other places in Jesus' teaching. In Matthew 10, 36 and 37, he, Jesus says that we must love him even above our own spouses. We must love him above our mother, our father, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters. We have to love Jesus first above all else. That's quietly, I think, a very difficult teaching for us to hear. I say quietly because it doesn't necessarily get uh, the publicity, maybe, of some of other, the other teachings that, of Jesus that we find difficult. Right? It doesn't get the publicity of what God calls sexual holiness, or it doesn't get the publicity of uh, what, how God calls us to be generous to the poor and in giving to the church. We often look at those and go, man, those can be some hard teachings. But this is a hard one, too. To love Jesus above even our own family is difficult, especially if you've had a good relationship with your family. Some of you, it might not be as difficult. You're like, no, you haven't met my family. (laughs) Meet them. It's a little easier to hear that teaching. But for me, it was not, because I loved my family deeply. We were definitely a family where family came first. My brother and I were tight. Nothing came between us. So that is a difficult teaching to hear but it is also an extremely important teaching to hear. And the reason that it is so imperative that we love Jesus even above our own family is because there can be times that our family might come in between us and what God wants us to do. What He is calling us to do. We see it right here, right now, with Jesus' own family. They're trying to get Him to stop preaching and stop doing these miracles, and yet... Jesus was sent by the Father to come preach and perform these miracles so that everybody would know that He was the Messiah that was promised. That He had come, that He had arrived. And His family's trying to get Him to stop. But Jesus values God's will above even that. And so it is vitally important that we as Christians love Jesus even above our own family. We have to do that. I've talked to many of you where this has been the case for you, where you following Jesus and believing what He has taught and believing the Bible has caused a wedge between you and your family because they don't agree with it. They don't believe it. They don't see it. We know it was a problem even in the early church. Paul had to give instructions in a letter on what to do if one spouse became a believer and the other spouse, because of that, wanted to leave them. So it is a problem. Loving Jesus above all else can drive a wedge between you and your family. It can even drive a wedge between you and your family if they are Christians. Because you might be called to go somewhere on mission, somewhere far away. It might be 
here in this country far away or it might be in another country far away where it is dangerous to follow Jesus, where it is dangerous to proclaim the gospel. And your family might be worried about you and not want you to go, but we might be called to do that. And if we are called to do that, we must love Jesus even above loving our own family because it is more important that we do the will of God than what our family wants. I have good news, though, and Jesus provides it here, that even if it costs us our family, if we have to leave our family to follow him, we get a better family. We get to be part of the family of God. In Mark 10, 28-30, you don't have to turn there, but I will read it. Peter says to Jesus, See, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus responds to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, he's saying if you are in the family of God now, You will have hundreds of brothers and hundreds of sisters. You will have places to stay. You will have food to eat. You will gather, gain all of that because you are part of the family of God. And I can tell you that God is faithful in fulfilling these promises. Because God called Sarah and I out here to Massachusetts. That's about 2,000 miles from our family. When we moved out here, the only person we knew anywhere close was a friend of mine from college who lived in Jamestown, Rhode Island. I had one cousin at Trinity College in Connecticut. The closest immediate family was Sarah's sister, who spent time, split time between central Pennsylvania and North Carolina. And that was it. Everybody else was 2,000 miles away. But we were called to be here, away from our family. My first day of class at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, I went to a class called Spiritual Formation for Ministry. In this, we had to be part of a soul care group. You don't know what a soul care group is? I know it sounds kind of maybe weird and a little bit out there, but what we do is we get together, we pray with each other, we read the Word together, we share our lives together, we build one another up for our Christian walk. And they're actually a great thing. Uh, we still do them here. They're called RR groups now. We don't call them soul care groups anymore. Uh, but uh, I, I was part of this one. Now, in this class, they put us together what seemed randomly. Like we had to fill out our schedule. My availability was like 6.30 on Tuesday mornings. And so I got put in a group with other people who were available at 6.30 on Tuesday morning. And in the row right behind me was a guy who was going to be in this group. And his name was Josh. And over that semester, Josh became my brother as we met together, and a couple other guys as well. But we met together every Tuesday. And we found out we had a lot in common. We loved NASCAR. I mean, we had that going. I I did not expect to New England and move to New England and find someone else who, who loved NASCAR so much. But he did. But we built each other up, and he became my brother. And his wife, Ashley, became my sister. And they became a brother and sister to my wife, Sarah. And when the first Thanksgiving rolled around, we had nowhere to go. We couldn't afford to go back for every holiday to Colorado. And so we had nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. And so Josh and Ashley had us over to their place for Thanksgiving dinner. 
And this past Thursday, four days ago, we had our 10th Thanksgiving dinner in a row with Josh and Ashley because they're our family. And in between those 10 Thanksgivings, we've shared life together. We've celebrated the birth of children together. We have mourned the loss of our grandparents together. We have rejoiced when Josh's dad went through successful cancer treatment. We've gone to races together. We've watched football together. We've done all those things together that you would expect a family to do, including things like correct each other when we need to be corrected. We've encouraged each other in the gospel when we've needed that. We've given each other advice on what to do at different stages of our careers. We are brothers in every sense of the word. And even though we're not connected by the same blood flowing through our veins, we are connected by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And that is more powerful than even that natural blood. He has been my brother. But it's not just Josh and Ashley that I've gained. I've gained many brothers and sisters. Not one or two. Look around this room. How many of you have been my brother and my sister when I needed a brother and sister? You guys have been there for me. I hope I've been there for you. But I've gained many brothers and sisters and what binds us all together is that our faith is in Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's what brings us together, what causes us to care for each other and love each other. And so when someone asks me, has it been tough being here without your family? Of course the answer is yes, it has been. I love my family very much, but you should come to my church. We have a great church family. You should see us together on a Tuesday night as we share a meal and pray with each other and encourage each other and mourn with each other. We don't necessarily look alike. We definitely don't all sound alike. But there's no doubt when you watch us together that we are family who loves each other and cares for each other and is there for each other. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing that we get to do When our faith is in Jesus, we get to be part of a new family, a bigger family, a better family, because it's a family that will always be there throughout all of eternity. That's a wonderful thing to have. Now, as it is true with any family, if you're going to be part of a family, there are some implications that go along with being in that family, right? There are some things that you have to do as part of the family. So one of the things that is so important as a family that we do is that we spend time together. And I don't mean that you just come in here and you sit here for 45 minutes to an hour and you hear the word preached and you hear the song sung and, you know, some of you even join along in singing. I'd like to see more of you. But it's not just that 45 minutes and then you're gone. No, stay with us afterwards. Talk with us. Pray with us. Share with us what's going on. Another way we do this is our, our, our groups. I have trouble saying ours, so that's difficult for me. Our, our groups. We have two of them going on right now. One of them meets every Tuesday night here at 6. Come join us. If you haven't been coming, start coming. It's not like you, know, you have to wait for the, for the new year to start or anything like that. You can come now. If Tuesday nights don't work for you, there's another one that meets the first Sunday of every month. So next Sunday, right after church, in the great hall back there, you can go back there and 
Same thing's going to happen. You're going to share a meal. You're going to talk about the sermons. You're going to talk about life. You're going to pray with each other and for each other. Spend time with your family. And it doesn't have to be so serious all the time either. Spend time doing fun things with your family. Go out, watch a Celtics game together. Have each other over for a game night. Go walk the lake. Whatever it happens to be that you guys do for fun, do it together. Do it with your family. Spend time with each other, getting to know each other. Another part of being a part of this family is that we have to take care of each other. We must love each other and treat each other well with dignity and with respect. It changes that we don't want to be a family that's bickering and who's known for that. We all know that family, right? The, brother, the brothers are always fighting. They don't like the sister. They're disrespectful to mom and dad. We've all seen those families. That's not, how the, you know, that's not how the family of God is supposed to be. We should treat each other lovingly. Now, of course, there's going to be times when we don't do that well. We're not perfect yet, and so unfortunately there are going to be times where we sin against each other. But we respond differently than other people might respond when we sin against each other. When we sin against each other, number one, we have every right to go tell that person that they've sinned against us. And we should do it because we don't want division between us. Don't sit there and be sinned against and just be like, ah, that's no big deal, that's no big deal. No, it hurts when that happens. And that will drive division in the family. And it's okay to go to that person and say, hey, you did this to me. And it hurt. And it should hurt because we're family. We're supposed to love each other. We're not supposed to treat each other like that and it's okay to do that and if you've hurt one of your family members how should you respond don't respond in anger don't get all proud what come on man toughen up no that's that's not how we're to respond we're to respond humbly towards each other in love towards each other repenting to each other when we've done wrongs to each other because that's what the family of god does because this family is based on forgiveness we would not have a family of god if god had not sent jesus down to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven how dare we not forgive each other we have to forgive each other in order for this family to work how it should when we wrong each other we must forgive each other we also have to look out for each other We have to look out when someone's going down a path that's not good for them. Many of you have watched a brother or sister or a mom or dad go down a path that's not good. We don't get to just stand back and be like, oh, well, they're going down their path. That's their choice. That's not loving. That's selfish. You're like, oh, well, that's on them. No. A loving brother and a loving sister reaches out. They correct their brother or sister when they need to. It's hard. It's not easy. But we look out for each other as a family. We make sure we're not hurting ourselves. And again, if you're that person who's caught going down the wrong path, respond well to your brother or sister. It took a lot for them to come say that to you. It takes a lot to go to someone and tell them they're doing the wrong thing. Why? Because we reject it when people tell us that. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? 
Who are they? They're your brother. They're your sister. They're your mother. They're your father. They love you. And they came to you to bring up a a problem that is harming you. Respond humbly when that happens. Respond knowing that they are there because they love you and love them in return. As a family, we're going to help each other in more out in more ways than just that, though. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, that Devin and, and Nicolette are going to need help moving. How many of you in this room have helped somebody in this church move? I have. A lot of you have. How many of you have been helped moving? Once again, I have. A lot of you have. That's something we do. We bear each other's physical burdens as well. And so, again, please, if you can be there at all this week to help them out, do it. Sadie's not quite able to lift the big boxes yet, you know? They're going to need our help moving. In two weeks, I'm going to need your help moving, so. If you could be there, that'd be awesome. (laughs) I guess it's three weeks. But uh, anyway, we should be helping each other. When we need help doing something, the first person we call should be somebody in this church. Hey, I need help moving a refrigerator. Hey, I need help on my car. I need help doing this. I need help doing that. We should be able to turn to each other and call each other and get help from each other. And we should be more than willing to help. When we get that phone call, it shouldn't be, ah, really? Again? No, we should be, yes, you're my brother. I'll be there for my brother. Yes, you're my sister. I will be there for my sister to help you with whatever needs to get done. Sometimes the burdens we're going to have to share with each other are going to be emotional burdens. We're going to have to be the shoulder to cry on or that ear to listen. That's not easy. It's not fun. It can be uncomfortable. But it's important. It's so important that we know that we have each other and that we aren't bearing these burdens alone. You know, we're called to bear our burdens as much as we can but we're also called to bear one, another, one another's burdens. So it is vital that we do that because, again, that's what a family does. They bear each other's burdens. We visit people in the hospital. We take them meals when they need it. We do all those things because they're our family. We're not just some loosely connected group of acquaintances that meet on a Sunday morning. We're a family that meets together on a Sunday morning. Here's the great thing about this family. This family is open. Some of you, when you had your own families, you didn't want a a large family. You wanted like one kid, maybe two, that was it. I wanted a bigger family. We have four. Okay, but this family is not supposed to be a small family with only one or two brothers. Romans tells us that Jesus was to be the firstborn of many. Firstborn of many. We should want to have many brothers and sisters coming through our doors and joining us. Many mothers and fathers. That's what we want here. Because that means when we have new brothers and sisters, that's new souls being saved. Who will be with us forever in eternity, in heaven, enjoying God's presence, worshiping Him. The great thing about this family also is that it means you always have someone. 
You don't have to be alone. There are people here who would gladly spend time with you, even on the holidays. You know, I brought up the first Thanksgiving that Sarah and I were here because it was great. We had someone. The first Christmas we were here was tough because everybody went home. They left campus. We, uh, again, we had flights are expensive at Christmas. And so we weren't able to go back to Colorado for Christmas. And so Sarah and I had Christmas dinner at the Kowloon, just the two of us. And we loved each other, but man, that's lonely. That's a lonely time. It was hard. We don't necessarily look back on that Christmas with a whole lot of fond memories. Again, we loved each other, we got each other presents, all those things. But we missed out on that big family Christmas. If that's you, that doesn't have to be you. If you had Thanksgiving alone, don't have Christmas alone. Sarah and I have opened up our house every year on Christmas Day that we've had a house for people to come. Some Christmases we've had eight, nine people. Other Christmases nobody's come, and that's okay, other than a few friends who who we've invited. But don't be alone during this time of year. This is a tough time of year to be alone. We know that. Please don't be alone on Christmas. If that's going to be you, let, let me know. We'd love to have you over for Christmas dinner. Right? Because being a part of this family means you don't have to be alone. Joey and I went to, uh, this was a couple years back, we went to a support group. And at that support group for people, the theme of loneliness just kept coming back up. I'm lonely. I have no one. I'm lonely. I have no one. And we left that meeting and the solution to that is the local church. This church is a place where people come and should not be lonely. They should come and they should find someone who will love them and who will live life with them, who will encourage them, who will celebrate with them, who will mourn with them. We should not have lonely people in here. We should be reaching out to each other, loving one another, and spending our lives together. I want to circle back around to what Jesus said at the beginning, though, because there is one requirement to be in this family. That requirement is that your faith is in Jesus Christ, that He was the Son of God, that He came down, that He lived a perfect life and died on the cross as a payment for your sins, and that He rose again, conquering that sin, conquering death, conquering Satan. That's it. That's the one requirement. If your faith is not yet in Jesus, I encourage you now, please place your faith in Him so that your sins are forgiven and so that you can be a part of this family and enjoy everything that comes along with being a part of that family. Let's pray.